Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. When you as a social entrepreneur go into the market and look for funding, uh, first of all, understand the funding landscape. So understand what kind of money is out there. Understand what kind of money you want and is right for you. How can I use it? How do I apply for it, etc. Become very targeted. Really important for you as an entrepreneur, create a support network for yourself, which is with you for the long term and understands what you're doing and understands what you're doing for the long term. I'm very pleased today to introduce Pascal Finette. Pascal has had a wide-ranging career, which includes setting up a couple of technology companies, working at eBay, Mozilla, as well as a stint at Google, investing in social impact organizations around the world. Pascal now heads up the startup initiatives at Singularity University, whose aim is to grow startups solving the most intractable problems in the world. Pascal is the entrepreneurship chair and is responsible for the Startup Accelerator and the Venture Fund. Thank you very much, Pascal, for taking the time to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs. I'm very much looking forward to talking to you and hearing about your journey and the work that you're doing at Singularity University. It's, it's great to have an opportunity to talk. I understand you head up the entrepreneurship at Singularity University. Could you tell me a little bit about that? And then maybe we can talk a little bit about the journey. That's how you've got there today. Yeah, of course, Virgil. So first of all, it's uh, it's an incredible honor and pleasure to be on this podcast. So thank you for inviting me. Um, very briefly about Singularity University. So the institution is uh, only about seven years old. So in a lot of ways, we are kind of like still a startup. And we were founded with the belief that um, there's a set of technologies which we call exponentially accelerating technologies. So think about um, computers, artificial intelligence, uh, robotics, synthetic biology, etc. Um, these technologies are on this crazy um, growth curve. And um, our belief is that, first of all, we need to wrap our heads around what this actually means and um, how disruptive this will be. And then secondly, we're really interested in leveraging these technologies to tackle humanity's grand challenges. Um, so we're not interested in you know, building the next better version of Angry Birds, um, but really fascinated at the idea of like, how can you leverage technology for social good? Uh, and this is kind of like, in a lot of ways, it's like story of my life. It's like something I've been passionate about and involved with uh, for the last 20 plus years. So it's kind of like the natural uh, transition point for me to be at Singularity University. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, I, I'm responsible for everything and anything we do around entrepreneurship. So this includes a startup accelerator, a venture fund, a growth program for um, organizations which are in, at a later stage, as well as I teach entrepreneurship. Great job. <laughs> you had a pretty interesting career, I'd say. I mean, you were involved in Mozilla Corporation and Google, you know, and always seems, you know, the more entrepreneurial arena or aspect in those organizations. And I'm just wondering what you think about the potential of technology really in solving these, I guess, what some people call wicked problems. Absolutely. Um, and uh, actually, some people, um, such as our, our common good friend, Daniel Epstein, calls them BFPs, big fucking problems. Um, so first of all, let me uh, preface this with, I understand and we understand that technology is not the Hail Mary. So technology in itself isn't solving any problem. Um, it obviously has always something to do with how do you deploy this? What is the social context around this? Um, how do you get people to adopt this? Having said that, I firmly believe that technology is an incredible force for good if we leverage it in the right ways. So I'll give you a very simple example. 
Um, think information technology, the most profound, simple example I can give you. Um, there's currently 7.2 billion mobile phone connections on the planet. So I, an equal amount to the people living on this planet. Um, there's about 2.7 billion or so of them are um, high bandwidth. Um, by 2020, that number will skyrocket to 90%. So 90% of uh, the world's population, um, which is at the age of using a cell phone, um, will have access to broadband internet uh, on their mobile devices. Now imagine what this means in the context of, um, uh, for example, a young person in Africa. They now have access to literally the world's information. Um, so we will see an incredible shift in terms of information distribution, in terms of power, um, in terms of what people can figure out for themselves. Um, the kind of like the, the very simple example I always give people is imagine the world, everyone on the world has access to Wikipedia. What would that in itself and alone do for the world? Um, it's just insane if you think about this. Um, and then you can go through all the different technologies and you see similar um, similar patterns and trends. So you take something like synthetic biology, so the ability for us to genetically modify um, uh, organisms, living organisms, uh, to, for example, create um, plants which are resistant uh, to particular um, uh, pesticides or particular um, diseases, um, or there's a, a group of people working on creating, um, uh, for example, rice plants which grow in salt water. Um, so that solves a huge issue around um, food and food distribution. Yes, that's very interesting because I spoke early on on the podcast to Gustav Prekelt and he does a lot of wireless related activities in South Africa. One of his projects is about bringing Wikipedia to very basic mobile handsets. So yes, it's definitely a very exciting area with a lot of potential, I think. I was wondering about the startup accelerator that you're involved in and what that's about and what you've learned about getting projects off the ground and accelerating them. Our startup accelerator is a little bit different than your typical run-of-the-mill tech accelerator, such as uh, you might be familiar with Y Combinator or Techstars or in Europe, Seedcamp. Um, so what we are focusing on is uh, in line with what Singularity University stands for, uh, companies leveraging exponential technologies to solve humanity's grand challenges. So this includes anything from, um, in our current batch, uh, we have companies uh, leveraging smartphone technology to make uh, to give blind people a way to see, quote unquote, see the world uh, to someone who's um, recycling um, used uh, electric car batteries to bring uh, power, electric mobile electric power to the world uh, to a company which um, synthetically engineered a bacteria to measure uh, contaminants in water. Um, so really fascinating and interesting companies we work with. And I think the big key takeaway for us is when you do something like this, like so when you're really um, at the edge of technology, really doing something complicated and hard, your gestation period, the time it takes you to build your product, get it into a market and get to adoption is just significantly longer than uh, what you would typically see in a tech startup doing a you know mobile photo sharing app, for example. Um, whereas such such a thing you can basically build in a couple of months and really get it to like hundreds of thousands of users fairly quickly uh, if you do something really complicated. And I see this the same, by the way, is true for 
many, many other social innovations in the field, it just takes longer. So really important for you as an entrepreneur, create a support network for yourself, which is with you for the long term and understands what you're doing and understands what you're doing for the long term. But also from a just very personal perspective, uh, you need to have a probably higher, even higher degree of perseverance than your average entrepreneur. So that requires you to tap into something which you're really deeply passionate about so that even two years from now, when you wake up in the morning, you're still passionate about the thing because it just will take you time. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I was speaking to a social entrepreneur a couple of weeks ago. I was talking about their success in building relationships with foundations, and then he just threw into the, the the conversation that he said it was oh it was about five years before I even got a reply to an email. <laughs> um, <laughs> That really gave an indication to me of just the kind of timeframes you're talking about and the kind of persistence required, really, the, the long-term vision. Clearly, you know, it's a, a bit of a chicken and egg, or there's a, should we say, a deep interconnectedness between, you know, somebody who comes with an idea and the idea in its own right. Clearly, you know, ideas are great, but, you know, they need you need a certain kind of personality and a skill set and so forth to, to turn those ideas into, you know, reality or make them a success. What have you learned and what are your thoughts about what kind of skills are required when you talk about perseverance and so forth? How can you tell, how can you find these, identify whether these qualities are there? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think there's a there's a uh, difference between actual physical skill to get something done, something particular done, um, and other quote unquote soft factors. Um, so first, of, I just want to uh, point this out. I've seen entrepreneurs do tremendous things regardless of their particular skills. So uh, I've seen people who are non-technical building very technical, complex solutions by surrounding themselves with the right people. So they're, they're kind of like the talent which can make that happen. Uh, but these people have the vision and the drive and um, uh, the, uh, bring other aspects to the table which help the project forward. So just um, one thing I, I just want to make sure people understand is that to build a successful uh, solution in the world, uh, it takes all types of people. Um, so uh, that's a. I think that's a good. Uh, first of all, that's good news for the people who are non-technical. Um, obviously, it helps if you um, have the chops to actually build your product yourself, so you can like pre- rapidly prototype your way through it. But again, like that's not a. Um, uh, that should not keep you from doing it. Um, the second is, and this is probably more important, is is much more about the uh, your inner attitude and um, your uh, your entrepreneurialism. Uh, and this is something I think you can actually find and see with people very early on. It's like when you start talking to them, because the best entrepreneurs for me are the ones who are, uh, on the one hand, um, we spoke about this earlier, like have the perseverance, have the passion, um, have this burning desire to tackle the problem they identified. And they will, uh, they're basically like a, a dog with a bone, like they will not give up. They will not let go of that bone. Um and you can actually tell, you tell this by like just listening to people and like the passion they talk about their particular. The second is, and this is um, uh, sometimes overlooked, I think, is passion alone doesn't necessarily translate into success because understanding that there's very rarely an occasion where you can some build something kind of like in the in your little cellar or garage or whatever, and they just get it done. Uh, it always requires other people to help you. Um, so the ability to rally other people around your cause around your thing is crucial 
And I see, I see sometimes I see entrepreneurs who have both the technical skill as well as the passion, but they just they miss this this factor of like getting other people to buy into your vision, to support you, um, to want to help you, and then also creating systems and structures for them to help you. Yeah, then you come into the yeah. into an unfortunate situation. No, that's very interesting. It ties in with something I've been thinking about quite a bit, actually, related to that. And I interviewed Jane Chan. I don't know whether you know Jane from Embrace. She's come up with this breakthrough hundred dollar uh, baby incubator. You know, radical, very interesting, disruptive technology. And one of the things she talks about uh, that was really crucial for them on their journey was being very close to the end user. And that this, and I know, also venture capitalists talk about this. You know developing technology and being close to getting, uh, I guess, being tightly knit with your users so that you can, you know, get feedback and, you know, build something, you know, which which meets the user's needs. How does that work with you in the sense that, you know, uh, some of these technologies presumably are intended to be deployed in, you know, remote areas in Africa? Yeah, absolutely. I, so I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with uh, what you just said. It's, it's crucially important to really understand your user and understand what the user's problems are. Um, unfortunately, I see um, sometimes people just basing basing their solution off of uh, assumptions, um, and then those are typically also the solutions which just don't work in the field because you over uh, you oversee some some crucial detail. It might even that the solution works, but your distribution mechanism doesn't work, or uh, you miss the fact that a particular um, uh, predetermined factor isn't existing, etc. So um, there's nothing more important. And we, we preach this to our entrepreneurs all the time. It's like get out of the building and talk to your uh, to your users. And uh, you know, granted, this is easier if you build something for uh, a, a social context, which is like the context you're living in, because then you literally just need to get out of the building. Um, versus if you're building something, if you say you're based in Europe and you want to build something for uh, a developing world um, nation, uh, then you just have to. Unfortunately, you have to get on a plane and and get there. Uh, it's crucial. It's super important. Yeah, I think that connection and and working on the ground and so forth. I'm thinking also about the work that you do with Unreasonable and the mentoring and so forth. And I'm just wondering what kind of challenges do you see people dealing with there, and what are a few of the key things that you think would be you know useful for other social entrepreneurs in their journey from working with uh, you've been involved. And I know you do a lot of mentoring in very various different capacities. Yeah, I think it comes down to the banalities of life. To be frank, it's it's pretty surprising how it's actually probably not surprising how very often the stuff you end up talking about is uh, isn't the really complex stuff. It isn't like there's the really hard, you know, gnarly technology questions or distribution system questions or whatever it is. Um, it's very often just very simple stuff like. Um, Hey, I don't get along with my co-founder. Like, how can we remedy this situation? Or, um, I, I just don't, I, I just don't feel up to the task. Imposter syndrome type of uh, thing. So, um, it, it's a lot of like the interpersonal and uh, uh, relationship pieces. It's a lot about leadership. Uh, so you spend. I personally spend quite a bit of time with my um, with my mentees on these pieces. And then the the second piece, um, and this is a personal pet peeve of mine, is. Um, People sometimes and quite often actually don't think big enough, I believe. So they, they, for some reason, you know, this might be a confidence, a trust issue, a 
uh, a social context issue. There's a gazillion reasons why, um, but people are somewhat contempt with the size of the solution they're proposing, whereas I typically ask my uh, mentees to really think about like the particular problem they're tackling. What does it take to make that problem literally go away? So think really big and like think about like how can I actually tackle this problem and just make it eradicate it, just get rid of it. Um, and it's remarkable because like, even if you don't get there, which, which is hard typically, um, but it, it brings a different mindset yes, to I bear think, and it yeah. allows you to think about your problem in very different ways and come, you come up with new solutions. I think this is a very interesting area, and you know, I spoke to Huggy Rao at, at Stanford, who's spent a lot of time thinking about scaling, and it seems that it's intimately connected with the, with the business model, really, in a way, configuring it in a way where there's this inbuilt, not only sustainability, but ability to really grow over time. And I don't know to what extent you can abstract that from particular you know, projects, and I was wondering, have you a couple of insights into this question of scaling, things that you know you kind of boil down? that you feel about projects, how to create this, you know, alchemical kind of uh, uh, situation where, you know, you build something that grows and on itself and scales as well, ideally, I guess. I think it's obviously it's it's not as easy as saying one, two, three, or, you know, like me uh, blurping out some like high level like pieces. Obviously, it's 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 complicated. Don't get me wrong. And I I make no uh, 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 no qualm about this. Um, I think it comes down to a couple of pieces, uh, and this is a non-exclusive list by far. Um, but uh, so you mentioned one being the business model, really thinking about how can you create a business model which um, aligns the incentives along the value chain um, and allows for growth uh, inside of that. Um, probably even more practical, I see a lot of like people spend uh, too much time on routine tasks. So the idea of like how do you start automating. Uh, your tasks really focusing on you know getting eighty percent work done with a twenty percent, uh, also not dying in beauty and like trying to get it perfect. Like understanding that eighty percent typically is enough because it allows you to do stuff with, with significantly less resources. Typically, um, uh, I think that these are all good starting points. And then the the, the second really big one is uh, thinking about really from the get go about. Alongside every single part of like the thing you're doing, like the value chain or the product or the service integration you're doing, thinking about where can I leverage other people um, or other resources which get me to scale. So, um, for example, like, instead of thinking about building your own distribution channel, can you piggyback on an existing distribution channel? Um, Instead of using your own backend system, can you just use something which you can get off the shelf? So there's a ton of like tiny little um, decisions you're making along the way, which will then end up being a scalable solution. So there's not a, it's not a, a turnkey thing. You're not flipping you know from non-scalable to scalable, but it's really like a, a thousand tiny decisions you take every single step along the way. So really thinking about, I think most important is really thinking about every single step along the way is like the thing I'm doing, is that scalable or is it not? And how can I make it scalable? That's very interesting. I like the idea of the piggybacking and getting leverage. Very, very important, isn't it, really, in these challenging environments where you really want to have impact? 
What about funding? Because I know that's part of one of the things that, that you do at Singularity. How easy is it to get funding for a social project at the moment in America? What are you seeing there? And, and then maybe you can talk a little bit about some things that social entrepreneurs can do to you know, improve their chances of funding themselves. Okay, so there's two, I, I believe there's two sides to that coin. The first is, sorry for the word, but there's a shitload of money in the market. Um, there's just a lot of capital available, um, which means that if you have a really good project, which has the potential to um, fulfill its mission, to scale, etc., um, you will get funded. Um, can I, I can I just jump in there because I, I if everything is right then you will get funded yeah can I can I jump in there because I have spoken to quite a few social entrepreneurs oh, who, of course. Yeah, totally. who, who tell sad stories of not getting money and spending so long struggling and so forth to get money so I'm just wondering what is it that this money is looking for because maybe there is you know people aren't really understanding that because you know clearly there, there's a spectrum obviously from I guess people who are willing to just you know just support something you know in a kind of a grant kind of capacity to, you know, uh, more, I won't say aggressive, but more demanding, you know, impact investors that are, they really want to see a financial return. So when you say there's a lot of money out there, how does that break down into those different groups? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the the most important thing you need to become, you need to get really clear about is um, when you as a social entrepreneur go into the market and look for funding, uh, first of all, understand the funding landscape. So understand what types of, as you mentioned, there's different types of money out there, like anything from grant money to venture capital. Um, so understand what kind of money is out there. Understand what kind of money you want and is right for you. Like fundamentally understand that. Um, so spend some time like, really thinking about like what kind of money, what are the strings attached to it, how can I use it, um, how do I apply for it, etc., and then um, become very targeted. The other thing I, I find um, a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is they become fairly untargeted in their uh, in their funding approach. So they basically go to uh, uh, with the same pitch. They go to a grant making institution um, or grant giving institution, and then they also go to a venture capitalist, and then they don't even uh, pay attention to is that particular um, funder actually the right funder for me in terms of like, are they interested in the stuff I'm doing? Is the market the right market? Is the country I'm in the right country uh, for this particular funder? Um, so it really comes down to like, I believe it comes down to becoming very clear about who are you? What are you doing? What are you offering? And then how does this match to the other side of the table? The more homework you do, the better your chances of success are. And granted, and this is, I make this make sound, uh, make this sound really easy. It's not an easy process. Like there's no question about it. Um, but I fundamentally believe that if you're doing something good in the world um, and it has the potential, it has it hits the right notes for the right funder, you will get money. Very positive. That's good to hear. And I guess social entrepreneurship as a, a discipline, in a sense, is still quite a young area, really. There's always been people who have used whatever resources and skills and, you know, passion to, to try and make the world a better place. But I guess the, the kind of the whole arena and, and it's changing all the time. Have you seen changes, I guess, a deepening of expertise? Because as you say, being an entrepreneur in the first place, you know, certainly need very specific capabilities add in the social dimension it's even more challenging you know more complex environment unstructured resource constraints working at the bottom of the pyramid and things like that do you see the discipline evolving absolutely um 
as you rightfully pointed out, I think social entrepreneurship is a fairly young discipline. Uh, when you look back at the first kind of impact investors, like people like Kevin Starr, who was on your show um, from the Mulago Foundation, um, a lot of people consider him kind of like one of the pioneers in the field, uh, amongst others, like Paul Pollack, for example. Um, they've been only doing this for like, you know, what, two decades or so. Um, in the grand scheme of things, that's very, very short. Um, and you see, when you look at the, uh, the teaching institutions around the world, um, so anything from like the Stanford, the Stanford literally the Stanford's of this world, um, uh, to accelerators such as in the um, Unreasonable Institute, uh, all of them operate only for a couple of years. Uh, so there's a lot of learning and a lot of understanding being built at the moment. Um, and it's a very young field, which in a lot of ways makes things harder because there's you know just not that many best practices. There's not that many established routines at the same time it's kind of interesting because in a lot of ways it's you know uh it's uh it's the the trek to the west it's like we're uh we're uh, all entering uncharted territory so there's a lot of room for experimentation um which typically entrepreneurs kind of like to do so i think it's a it's a really exciting time no, that's very interesting. Just coming back to the technology side of things, I take it you're you're optimistic and the potential there. You've made a commitment to to being deeply involved in that. What are a few exemplar social entrepreneurs active in the technology field or using technology? Do you think in a in a really exciting way? I can give you two examples right out of our portfolio. So one being a company called Nextleaf. Um, what they're doing is they leverage. Uh, is effectively sm- the fact that smartphones have become incredibly cheap um, to tackle a really interesting problem. So uh, the problem they're tackling is 20 to 30 percent of vaccines in the third world spoil because of a uh, break in the cold chain. Uh, what they're doing is they have a, a temperature sensor which is effectively connected smartphone. So they buy a $25 Chinese-made Android phone, attach a temperature temperature sensor to it, bolt this whole thing onto the temperature. F- to a fridge and now they have uh, deep insight into not only um, if the vaccine uh, is still f- good uh, because they see if there was a break in the cold chain but they also see where the break in the cold chain happens um, and then can uh, level that data up because it's a connected device up to the cloud now a health organization uh, for example like the health ministry of a, a particular country now can see where this happens because typically these these breaks happen in the same places um, because it's always you know this one facility where they forget to plug the fridge in or something. Um, and then you can you can leverage um, uh, this knowledge to solve the problem. Uh, they're now in something like seven countries, and many of these countries, they're in more than 50% of the fridges. Uh, this is a 20-people team. It's tiny. Uh, and they're li- literally making the problem go away, um, leveraging fairly simple technology. Uh, that's one example. The second being uh, a company called MetaNet, which developed a point-to-point autonomously flying drone delivery system. Uh, and their core use case at the moment is to fly uh, medical supplies in areas where uh, road conditions are not conducive to uh, transporting. So again, in um, uh, emerging economies, uh, they uh, connect, for example, a, a hospital with a field hospital uh, to fly uh, urgently needed uh, medication uh, and it takes about like two hours, whereas if you were doing this on a on a uh, with a car, uh, simply because there's not even roads, it takes like three days. So life-saving delivery of um, uh, medication using drones. Uh, so this, those are just two interesting and, and uh, very uh, 
uh, easily to grok examples. And then when you go into the realm of like really um, uh, very advanced technologies, it becomes a little bit more crazy and totally doable. So it's Synthetic biology is a really interesting one where we already start developing medications um, which are tailored to your particular genomic makeup um, so that you get like the very best medication for your particular uh, genomic genomic makeup with um, the highest rate of success. Right. That's an interesting array of ventures there. What about finding out about what's going on? The theme I'm always interested in is the transferability or the capacity for social entrepreneurs to share knowledge and, and information and not reinvent the wheel. <laughs> or not try and reinvent the wheel, at least. What's your sense of you know how well that transfer is taking place? And what would you say to social entrepreneur that wants to get up to speed fast? Presumably, that's such a crucial area. And and as you say, there's so much information and knowledge out there. On the technology side, there's obviously uh, a ton of information on the uh, just on the internet, uh, including Singularity University itself has a content website called Singularity Hub, uh, which publishes daily um, uh, really interesting articles about what's going on in uh, in technology, particularly at the literally at the bleeding edge of it. Um, I think you're hitting onto a second note, which I think is a bigger one, which is. Um, I also lament the fact that social entrepreneurs actually need to share more information, and it's hard. Like the, I mean, we have events such as SoCap, and uh, there's content sites out there as uh, such as, I mean, obviously your blog, uh, your your uh, podcast. Um, but uh, understanding that a lot of the social entrepreneurs work in the field, um, let's say in Africa. Uh, it's actually really hard for them, obviously, to just like you know hop on a plane and go to a meetup. Um, yeah. So the the geographic uh, diversion is is a, is a is a hard problem to overcome. So I think that as a as a group, we need to get better at organizing ourselves and like using online media to to share to to be more transparent and share more best practices. Yeah, no, I think it's a really important question. I think a lot of social entrepreneurs are working very specialized domain. And maybe for, you know, a mainstream entrepreneur, they'd anybody might be vaguely interested in or, or quite interested in, you know, Michael Dell's ideas about, you know, sales or something. I think maybe it's it not doesn't quite work the same way if you're, you know, working in water and sanitation, and somebody else is working in, you know, foods, and somebody else is working in, you know, a different area, the transferability is not immediately obvious. But yeah, you know there are many aspects which entail similar kinds of questions you're working in ecosystems you know with many different dimensions there which aren't always obvious absolutely yeah absolutely. what's your vision for the you know the entrepreneurship area at singularity and over the next five years what are you hoping to achieve I think it's twofold. The first is um, what we're trying to achieve internally is um, we really want to amp up, significantly amp up the uh, the support we're providing uh, to the entrepreneurs we can work with directly. Um, so this includes thinking about, um, and we're doing this at the moment very hard, um, how can we scale out our accelerator offering, uh, which is currently happening uh, in one location on our main campus in Silicon Valley, uh, to other locations around the world? How can we support entrepreneurs with uh, even better measures in terms of um, capital, for example, etc. Um, I think that's one thing, and that's very kind of like Singularity uh, University particular. The second piece is I fundamentally believe that Singularity University, the thing we're teaching is really a mindset shift for people. It's really about like ex exposing them to these technologies, shifting their mindset from a world of scarcity to abundance, um, 
And, uh, you know, when I teach this and I do a lot of like uh, public speaking around this topic, I can see what the shift which happens for, for people. Um, I believe the big opportunity for us is to take that information, that knowledge, um, and, and um, uh, our view of the world and our insights um, and wrap them up in a way which is easy to digest and can be rolled out and made available to literally millions of people for free. Um, so that's yep. my big, uh, my big 2016, and surely beyond that goal. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the idea of like, you know, take this thing we have and like get it out to entrepreneurs all around the world, so they can do something meaningful with it. Because that's ultimately, if we want to fulfill our mission, we need to get this into as many hands as possible. That's very exciting. I guess final question is just: Are there one or two things that you, you know, you think are burning issues or topics that are important that we haven't really talked about? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. To be frank, I don't know because I think it's it's uh, it's very individual. Like I I see you know speaking to so many entrepreneurs as I do um, through my mentoring and um, I have a uh, a fairly wide read um, newsletter and uh, an online community around this called theheretic.org. Um, so I see what comes in from from people and um, uh, the questions which come in are typically very, very individual. The one thing though, which is a common theme is uh, we all crave for a community of like-minded people, um, people who can hold us up, who can support us, who can be there when the going gets tough, uh, who can be there when we want to celebrate our victories. So uh, the one thing I, I, I really want to see more in the world, and I'm so happy that you're doing this podcast because I think it's a fantastic way to get there too, is um, for all of us, like the people who are working on these problems in very many different ways um, to support each other even more than we do today. Yeah, it's a great vision. It's, it is striking when you, you know, start to look under the cover a little bit, the number of people that are out there working and dedicating their lives to, you know, creating change in so many ways. I mean, it's so inspiring, just the number that are doing that. But as you say, also the, the body of knowledge and expertise and emotional support that can be provided is, is immense. And, you know, it's definitely something which, which I'm committed to, too. Thank you very much, Pascal, for taking the time to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs and share your insights and vision. And I wish you the very best of success into the future. Thank you, Fergal. This is the very same uh, for you. I'm really glad that we had a chance to, uh, to communicate and chat. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.